0: Hey there and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success
1: they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 115 and today we'll be chatting with Matt Schlitt, the founder and editor of Chatbot Magazine, the number one place to learn about chatbots. Matt is a YC alum a Forbes 30 under 30 and previously a product manager at Ustream, as well as an advisor to several other startups. Several months ago, Matt decided to launch a community dedicated to messaging and bots. Chatbot Magazine was born and now reaches over 200,000 people per month. Matt
0: joins us to share his story, how he got into startups and tech, how he created the opportunity to join the team at Ustream, how he approaches building products, why he's so passionate about bots and messaging, what's next for Chatbots Magazine,
1: and much, much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hacktostart, drop us an email at hey@hacktostart.com, at or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started.
0: Hey, Matt, thanks so much for being on the show today.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're super excited to have you on and learn about, you know, all the amazing things that you have done and and what's going on with uh, Chatbots magazine. So before we dive into that, can you tell us and the listeners a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from and, and what did you study?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in Orange County, so Southern California, um, where there's lots of palm trees and lots of nice beaches. And, you know, I I went to grade school there. I went to high school there. And in high school, I actually got I got really bad grades, which is not something I've talked about too much. And my high school was this like really nice private school in uh, in Newport Beach. And they actually after my junior year, they asked me not to come back. And I like worked really hard over the summer and I like worked on this online community and and publication for uh, the PSP, which was like this handheld gaming system that Sony put out. And I did such a good job at that that I actually had the team contact my high school and be like, hey, you should let Matt back in this like private school because he worked really hard and we don't know what you're talking about. Like you should probably let him back in. And the school ended up uh, bringing me back for senior year. And I finished, I, you know, I graduated high school. And then at the end of high school, you know, I didn't really want to like I was really excited about going to college, but I didn't really have a lot of money and I didn't have any scholarships. Right. So there was nobody that was writing big checks to kind of send me to their school. And so my options were kind of I could do um, a community college or I could kind of jump into the workforce. And I felt this like big need to prove myself. You know, all my friends were going to these great colleges. They were going to Yale and Harvard and MIT, and I felt really behind. And so I kind of threw myself into what I was really passionate about and kind of what I'd been working on in high school, which was, you know, I was working on computers and the internet, um, which is why I kind of didn't do my homework and didn't get the greatest of uh, grades. And when I, you know, dove headfirst into the internet, I created this online game show called Would You 72? And this was way back in like, 2007. And in this online game show, it was basically a live broadcast of this guy in Canada playing Halo 3, which had just come out. And if he could play it for 72 hours straight without uh, sleeping he would win this like Xbox. And the whole thing was broadcasted on this site called Ustream, which was, uh, you know, live video is very popular now. Facebook does it. YouTube does it. But back then live video was this really new technology that nobody knew about. And he broadcasted it on Ustream and we did it for three days and we ended up getting over 200,000 people watching it in the first, like over the course of the broadcast. And that, you know, I was about 18 at the time, and that was a really big moment for me because we ended up breaking Ustream, and Ustream actually ended up giving me a job because of that. And so instead of going to college, at 18, I started working for this company called Ustream, and that really kicked off my career. So when people ask me where I study, I don't really have a college or university to tell them, and I tell them that I studied at the uh, University of Ustream.
0: That's awesome. And so where did that passion for tech and entrepreneurship kind of come from? Like, what drove you to dive into computers and and tech, you know, while you were in high school?
2: Yeah, so grade school and the kindergarten and the preschool that I went to is it's this school called Waldorf. And it's very unique in the sense that they don't, they don't really let you use technology. And so I didn't have a computer until I was about 12 or 13, and I wasn't even allowed to watch TV or really interact with technology. Everything I was allowed to do was, you know, I could draw, I could read books, I could, you know, go outside and play. But when I got my computer at age 12, I suddenly had access to the internet. And I was suddenly, you know, the internet represented this place where People didn't care how old you were. They really only cared about what you could do. So if you could make something really great or if you could create some really great piece of content, nobody would ask you how old you were. And that like represented this huge opportunity to me. Also growing up, you know, I really liked the idea of starting a business and becoming an inventor. And before I kind of understood what the Internet was... Creating a business to me meant like setting up a shop somewhere. And when I thought about setting up a shop somewhere, like a physical location, it was really constrained by the amount of people who could access it physically, right? Like the amount of foot traffic it got. But the internet blew my mind because if you're on the internet, you're not restricted by physical location. You know, you can have millions or billions of people using your product or interacting with your business because it's online. And so I got this computer right before I went off to high school and pretty much I spent my entire time, you know, not doing homework or or studying, and I spent it learning about the internet, learning about, you know, forums and community building and how people are monetizing the internet. I remember when I realized that thousands of people worked at Google, for example, and that, like, blew my mind. It was just, like, never something I thought of. And I was like, wow, there's, like, thousands of people that work on this one site that lets you search something. Like, this is super cool, and I need to figure out how to break into that. And so when I was able to, you know, get that opportunity to work at Ustream, that that was a really big deal for me because, you know, I didn't have a college education. Everybody always talks about how you need to have a college education and how that's a requirement when you're applying for a job. And so that kind of in getting hired by Ustream really was a big deal to me because I thought, look, if I, you know, I don't have a college education, but if I do a really good job at Ustream, probably over a certain period of time, once I accomplish enough, nobody will ask me, you know, where I went to school and even if they do, they won't care at all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I really like the fact that you brought up like, you know, that you want to go out there and build these, these communities and figure out how to monetize the internet. So kind of putting Ustream and, and some of the stuff that you're doing aside, you know, globally over the course of your career, you've launched some pretty interesting products. So can you tell us about like a little bit about like your mentality when you approach creating products and, and sort of what motivates you to launch them in the first place? Like, as you were discovering all these different pockets of communities, like tracks by or please retweet me or friend shuffle, like, h- how do you approach building those products?
2: Yeah, so I think when I first started out, I, I had this tremendous amount of respect and awe for anyone that built, you know, Facebook or Google or, you know, any, any of these really big products. And I was like, man, how did they do that? Like they went to school and like they're incredible engineers. Like, you know, how do they figure out how to make these things? Like that's incredible. And I kind of put them on this pedestal. But over time, I realized that the percentage of people in the world who actually create things is incredibly small. And so just by creating something, you know, 99% of the world out there, they might think it's amazing. You know, so you can't always just compare what you're doing to, you know, what everybody else is building. You have to think, if I built this, you know, would there be people out there who who would use it? And so, please, me. that was kind of way back in the early days of Twitter. Twitter didn't even have like a retweet button, but people started doing this thing where they would they would actually type out RT and then they would copy and paste someone else's status update. And I was like, wow, OK, that's pretty cool. Here's like a trend. I wonder if I could build a product that would kind of make this even easier. And so the way Please Our teamy worked, for example, is we were actually the first ones to build a retweet button, like as ridiculous as that sounds, where you could go to this website, you could type in your tweet and then you could post it. And it would send out a tweet uh, on your account, and at the end of it, it would have this URL that said, please RT me, and then, like, slash, you know, a bunch of characters. And if someone clicked that link, it would automatically pre-fill out a tweet for them uh, like a retweet. So instead of an actual retweet button, you'd have a URL in the tweet that if you clicked it, it would kind of act like a retweet button. And then a couple months after that, Twitter came out with a physical retweet button. And the inspiration for that was, and this is kind of, you know, w- what I did with a lot of my other early projects is I was just trying to create things that I thought a lot of people would use that no one had done yet. And I thought that it was interesting and kind of funny and, and fun to, to be able to go out there and be like, ha, you know, I made this and nobody else thought of it. And I was kind of the first one to do it. And then from kind of the community standpoint. The, the internet is just so interesting because there's billions of people who, who are on it and they're using it every day, especially now. They're, you know, everyone's on their mobile device and um, they're on their computers. And so a community is not really technology-based, right? Like a community is like content, where it doesn't necessarily require like high tech in order to accomplish it. It's more like if you can provide enough value in one spot where people exchanging ideas and you can go out there and let other people know about it, you can actually build this really powerful thing that isn't based on technology and it's more based on the connections of the people in it. And I think through the entire time I've been on the internet, like that has really fascinated me that... You know, you can either join one of these communities or you can actually create one for yourself. So I, I've definitely created multiple communities and I think I've gotten better and better at it over time.
1: That's amazing. I, I love the hustle that you've, you have for all these side projects that you've been working on. But going back to Halo and, and the Ustream story, how did you end up meeting that Canadian gamer and decided to launch that?
2: Yes, yeah, so it was, a, it was a friend of a friend. And I had I'd been working on this website. Uh, It was the first website I ever made. It was really, really bad, but it got a lot of traffic. Basically, Hulu, um, which everybody knows now, uh, was about to come out and they, they released their beta. And for some reason, I was one of the thousand people that got access to it. And I logged in and I had access to a bunch of TV shows. And previously, there wasn't really anywhere on the internet where you could legally watch, like, professionally produced content. Like, you couldn't watch The Simpsons. And Hulu provided that. And what I realized is. Hulu gave out all these embed codes where you could actually embed each of these shows. And what I did is I created a website called openhulu.com, and I embedded every single show that Hulu had. And so previously, you know, Hulu was only available to 1,000 people. They were in beta trying to make sure their servers worked and all the tech was there. I pretty much took them out of beta by embedding every single piece of content they had on the site and making it publicly available to everyone. This ended up being my first round of press where people started writing about something I'd made. And it started making money because I had ads on the site. And so my friend of a friend, you know, because we were very young, we were like, you know, 16, 17, 18, saw that we were making, you know, saw that I'd made money with this and asked if like I could get him an Xbox, which is like, obviously, I'm not going to do it. But I proposed that you know, maybe we could create a game show out of it. And so if he went and broadcasted live and he could play this for 72 hours straight without sleeping, then then I would get him the Xbox. And so that's kind of where that came from. And then I went to a conference in L.A., uh, New Media Expo, which was, you know, a bunch of uh, blogging platforms were there, people who were doing social media. Um, Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk was there, but, you know, he wasn't this, like, big popular entrepreneurial hustler yet. He was just kind of promoting his wine company, Wine Life, Library, and at this conference, I found the Ustream booth. And Ustream was so small at the time, they'd raised maybe like less than a million dollars. And it was so small that one of the founders of the companies, Brad Hunstable, was the person at the booth. And I remember I went up to him and I was like, oh, Brad, oh my God, like you're the founder of this company, this is crazy. Like, I'm going to do this broadcast on Ustream where we're gonna have you know my friend play Halo 3 for 72 hours and he was like, Yeah, okay, whatever, like here's my business card. And I was like pretty bummed because I thought, you know, I, I thought this was pretty cool and he wasn't he didn't seem too excited about it. So I got very frustrated because he didn't seem excited about it. And so what I did is I spent the rest of that conference walking around and finding every internet celebrity I could that was there. And I made a video of them where I promoted the show. And then over the next week, I got each of those videos to be in the top of dig.com, which like back in the day was like Reddit, where like it was a really big deal if you were at the top. And so by the time that the actual broadcast happened for Would You 72, which was what the game show's called, you know, I'd done all this promotion because the founder of Ustream had you know, frustrated me by not being impressed with my incredible idea that it actually did really well because the broadcast also hit the front page of of Dig, and that's how we got the two hundred thousand people watching it. And then at one point Ustream actually broke, which meant that Brad Hunstable, one of the founders, um, had to call me and be like, Oh my God, like I'm so sorry. Like it broke. Like we'll be right back in a second. Like don't worry. And after that, you know, we definitely earned a lot of respect from him because he originally thought that this wasn't going to work. And then we ended up being the largest broadcast he ever had. And that's how I got brought on to help at first promote other broadcasts that were on Ustream. And then later I took over the entire product team.
1: That's amazing. Absolutely love that story. So on the topic of creating product at Ustream, a lot of the stuff you ended up working on was really early on live video and streaming. So how did you approach conceptualizing and launching products?
2: Yeah. So at first, you know, you have to imagine I was like, you know, everyone on the team is much older than me when I I was working there. And I was 18, 17, 18 when I joined. And then when I started doing product, I was about 18 or 19. And suddenly I'm the only one who's coming up with the direction of the site. I'm the only one who's specking it out and designing it and putting together, you know, the product requirements documents and figuring out what we're going to do. And I have you know at first 10, 20, 30 developers, but that you know that increased over time to over a hundred. And so in the beginning, I was definitely like really excited that I'd pushed myself to to kind of get this responsibility. but I was also incredibly nervous that what if I told the developers to build the wrong thing? What if I didn't spec it out correctly? you know what if I couldn't figure out how to how to solve a certain certain problem? And what Ustream did is they brought on uh, an advisor. His name is Josh Ellman, who, who you may know. So, Josh Ellman is now a partner at Greylock, which is one of the largest VC firms. But at the time, he was working at Facebook. After that, he, he went on to work at Twitter. He was also one of the earliest employees at LinkedIn. So, pretty much, he is like a product god. And he did, in, you know, he worked at er- every company that Josh worked at basically went IPO. So, he makes sense that he's a great investor now. And so, they brought him on as an advisor specifically to be my mentor. And I remember. I met him in Palo Alto and I was probably like 18 and he asked me, he was like, Matt, like, what do you, you know, what are you going to do? Like, what, what's the next product you're working on? And I was like telling it to him and I explained it to him and I was like, yeah, but like, I don't know, like if it's going to work or like, I have no idea. And I always remember Josh was like, Matt, you need to just like, like, he's like, nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to work. And you're obviously capable, you know, I I see the ideas you're coming up with and they're really good, but I can't even tell you if they're gonna work or not. And so the difference is you just need to get over that. You just need to like not worry about that. You need to be super confident and just try it and be open to the fact that it can completely fail. And if it fails, then you just need to look over the data and make it better. And it was like, after he told that to me, I was like, yeah, okay, like I can do that. And I, I immediately got a lot more confident And I applied that to everything I did after that, where it's like, you know, failure is not bad. It's just a learning opportunity. And so really, it makes sense that you should fail as quickly as possible so that you can collect as much data as possible and you'll get to a successful product even sooner. I think one of the other things that was really uh, crucial to kind of my development and my confidence is, you know, I always looked at these other products like Facebook – um, or, or Google or you know any of the large companies what they were building and I was always very impressed by them and I was like man how did they come up with these ideas like are their ideas better than mine or you know can I make ideas you know can I come up with stuff that's better than them and they were kind of like a ceiling you know I wasn't sure if I could be as good as you know as good as someone at Facebook one day I actually created um, this idea and I came up with this idea that someone at Facebook could do. I thought it would be a good idea for Facebook. And a couple weeks later, you know, I told a a few people about the idea, and, and I knew that Facebook had heard about the idea. And a couple weeks later, Facebook actually implemented it, and they took my idea, and they actually did it. And that was, like, a really big moment for me where I was like, wow. Like, I came up with this idea, and Facebook stole it. Like, if Facebook's willing to steal my ideas, like, I'm definitely capable of coming up with, you know, something really, really great. You know, I'm not I'm I no longer felt limited at all. And after that, I I, I felt very free to kind of come up with anything I wanted and and build it and try it out.
0: What was the idea, if you don't Uh, mind me asking?
2: Yeah. So the idea was basically around. Actually, you know, I don't know if I can talk about it. (laughs) I don't know if I can talk about it, actually.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, no, no, no worries. But uh, (laughs) it's a it's
2: a it's a secret.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for sharing, you know, some of the lessons that you've had through the mentorship and experience through Ustream. But shortly after you, you know, your time there, you created a product called ZapChain, a social network for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So what really motivated you to jump on another project and launch it?
2: Yeah. So when I was at Ustream, I was there when Facebook came out with Facebook Connect. And I was there when Twitter came out with their API. And so a big part of Ustream is I was one of the first people who got to incorporate these social APIs into a product. And that was hugely successful. And it was incredibly powerful to be able to you know tap into another network and another technology like that and kind of build your product on top of it. And so... Uh, ZapChain was a social network that was entirely built on top of Bitcoin, um, which is a which is a digital currency that's decentralized. And the reason that I did that is because for the first time ever, I saw Bitcoin as kind of an API for money. And so I was used to building an API, you know, integrating with APIs that were for social and for sharing and for connectivity, but I'd never run into something where it was an API for money. And so I thought this would be a really interesting experiment if I could try to create a social network that is not built on top of a social API, but is actually built on top of a monetary API. And so the way ZapChain worked is similar to something like Reddit. You could start topics and you could leave comments. But when you upvoted something, you actually were not upvoting it with, you know, a fake internet. Point, you were actually upvoting it with with Bitcoin, which is you can sell for money. And so, if you posted something incredibly valuable and a lot of people upvoted you, you know you were actually earning money. If you wrote an article and a lot of people upvoted you, you were actually earning a lot of money. And ZapChain was very successful within people who knew what Bitcoin was. So people who were Bitcoin evangelists or enthusiasts. ZapChain did incredibly well amongst hundreds of thousands of them. Where we ran into a lot of problems, though, is when we tried to expand outside of the world of Bitcoin, where we tried to go get other industries and other topics and other verticals to start using this platform. And the biggest problem is that there, you know when you're using something like Bitcoin, it's something that a lot of people have heard of, but most people really don't understand it. And it's kind of complicated to understand. And so for most people who didn't already Understand what it was using ZapChain, which was built on top of Bitcoin, w- was really difficult for them.
0: So after building ZapChain, you then launched another amazing you know community around bots and messaging called Chatbots Magazine. So what is Chatbots Magazine, and what really motivated you to start it?
2: Yeah, so Chatbots Magazine is the largest publication that covers chatbots and natural language processing and machine learning. You know, for the past like year, I've been super super interested in messaging platforms. And the reason I've been so interested in messaging platforms, you know like WeChat or Facebook or Kick or Slack um, or telegram, is because and most people don't know this is because messaging platforms are actually growing faster than social networks, and they've actually grown so much that at this point they're larger than social networks. so every day, more people are sending each other messages on you know WeChat and Facebook Messenger than are actually using social networks like Facebook or Twitter and this is this is Crazy. This is a huge shift in what people are doing every day. Once I realized this, once I realized that the majority of people on the internet are spending their time in messaging apps instead of social networks, it made sense to me that every business in the world is going to have to come up with a strategy on how to interact with people on Messenger. When I did more and more research, what I realized is that the only scalable way for a business to interact with their audience or their customers on messaging platforms is with bots. Because one option on the one hand is you could hire a tremendous amount of customer support people who could be manually chatting with people all day. Or on the other hand, you could use technology in the form of a chatbot, which is kind of like a little computer program that uh, responds to people when they message you. And so I came to this conclusion that every business in the world is going to have a chatbot. And I, it, it seemed like this is a really big shift in, in the world and how people interact on the Internet. And I thought that there are going to be a tremendous amount of business opportunities in this space. And so I really was looking for an idea that I could start so a, a business that I could create. And then about four and a half months ago, Facebook announced that you could build bots on top of Facebook. And that, that is a really, that's a really big deal is Facebook Messenger is one of the largest chat platforms in the world. And I still didn't really know what company I was going to create, but I wanted to create something that gave people a reason to talk to me about chatbots so I could learn as much as possible. And so what I did, this was about four and a half months ago, uh, right after Facebook's F8 where they announced bots, I created a group on Facebook for bot developers. I created a publication on Medium, which is Chatbots magazine, focused on bot developers. And I wrote this introductory guide on Chatbots. And I really spent a lot of time making sure that it was the best intro guide to Chatbots you could find. And I, you know, I interviewed a bunch of people. I did a lot of research. And what ended up happening is all three of these blew up considerably now I have regular conversations with every major chat platform because this group represents a huge number of developers who are building on their platform. And so for someone like Facebook, this group that I created has become you know, the best way for them to communicate with the people who are building bots on top of their platform. Then the magazine has grown substantially. And so I've only ever written, I think, four or five articles in this magazine, but I have allowed basically anyone that works at a chatbot company or who is really focused on chatbots to write for it. So the magazine actually has over 300 writers who contribute to it. There's maybe five to 10 new posts every day. And the magazine is now reaching over 200,000 people every month, which for something as niche as chatbots definitely seems like a tremendous amount of people. And every month that number is growing higher and higher. So what's interesting is if you go to Google Trends and you look for the term chatbots, the the search... Velocity is actually going down, but if you go look at the stats for Chatbots Magazine, the viewership is increasingly going up, and so people are definitely increasingly more interested in chatbots. And then the guide I wrote now has been read by over a hundred thousand people, and it got so popular, in fact, that if you go to Google and you just Google chatbots, like you just go type in chatbots, uh, the guide is the first result in every country, and then the magazine is the second result. And so because of this. I've been contacted by pretty much every bot startup in the world, I've talked to hundreds of bot startups, every investor who's interested in investing in bot startups, and a tremendous amount of companies who are interested in having bots. Kind of The stance I've taken and what I've done this whole time is I've done everything I can to provide as much value back to the community as possible. With the thought that at some point I'm going to start my own chatbot business and you know, when I do that, I would love for the community to think like, wow, like we should really support Matt because like he's done so much to you know to support us. And so Every time a bot startup wanted an introduction to an investor, if I thought that made sense, I made the introduction. I've helped a bunch of bot startups get funding. If uh, bot investors were interested in talking to bot startups, you know, I made those introductions. And then when uh, companies who are looking to talk to bot startups so that they could get a bot set up, you know, I've made I've made those introductions. So I've done everything I possibly can to kind of create a centralized area for. Bot developers, bot designers, bot investors, bot companies and people who are interested in bots, where they can all communicate and share their knowledge and really push the technology and the industry forward. Um, And I I think it's been really helpful so far and it seems to be growing even faster.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's super cool. And I've been following, you know, the chatbots magazine. And then I, I don't know, I was one of the first thousands in the Facebook group. Um, and, and so it's just been crazy to see all the activity inside of that. If, if people haven't had a chance to check it out yet, I definitely encourage them to, you know, follow and subscribe on Medium and join the Facebook group and check out your chatbot guide because they're all incredible resources. And I mean, I think, you know, you've played a, a pretty significant role in, in just building that community uh, around that. So it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, if anyone wants to go to the magazine, you can go to chatbotsmagazine.com. If you want to go to the group, you go to botsgroup.com. And then if you want to read the guide, just go to Google and type in chatbots, and then it'll be the top result. I think the other interesting thing that I've done in the group is, so in, in my past, and we haven't really talked about this, but in my past, I've actually worked um, with a tremendous amount of celebrities. You know, I, I managed Lil Wayne social media for a couple of years. I've worked with, you know, back when the Jonas Brothers were really big. I've worked with pretty much every major rapper and helped them learn how to use Facebook and, you know, back in the day when they were using Ustream and ha- helped them go viral on, on Twitter. And so I've spent a lot of time with celebrities and learned a lot about how they, interact with a large audience. And I've also helped them um, get better at interacting with large audiences. And, and I think what's interesting is with the bots community, you know, there's this, it's like, there's this little part of Facebook that has 13,000 people in it, and they all really love bots. And they all know who I am, because I'm the one that created the group. And I think, you know, anybody in that group, could be doing what I'm doing. You know, they could be making the introductions to investors. They could be writing the guides. You know, I don't really have any special abilities within the group. But what I've really tried to do is apply all these things that I've learned from from working with these celebrities, so that I could really improve my communication with this entire audience. And so, like, I regularly make videos where I just like kind of pull out my iPhone while I'm walking, you know, down the street, and I kind of talk to the group as a whole, and I let them know about all of the things I'm doing. I think that's kind of like an interesting thing that I've done um, in the background where just taking, taking everything I've learned from these celebrities and kind of trying to apply that to be a good community leader in this group.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. And and kind of another thing that I that I think is really interesting about the way you've approached building that community is the, the fact that you've done it in like a non-traditional way. Like, you know, I think most people would approach it as putting up, you know, a site like a WordPress and then just trying to own the entire thing. Whereas you've made use of, of different platforms like Facebook groups, Medium, a newsletter and more. So how did you take this approach and, and what's it been like trying to manage all that?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I, I created the Facebook group first. And I invited maybe 10 people in there. And, and then I, I made this post on Facebook where I was like, hey, you know, I created this group for people who are interested in bots. Um, let me know if you'd like to join. And when I posted that, I was, like, really nervous. I was like, man, I'm going to – you know, everybody hates putting up a post on Facebook or social media where it, like, gets no engagement, right? So I was like, man, I'm, am I going to put this up and no one's going to care about bots and I'm going to, like, look silly? But what ended up happening is, like, you know, a couple hundred people were really interested in it. And I was like, wow, okay, people are super interested in bots. You know, I wonder what else I could do to kind of grow this. And And that's where I got the idea for – You know, what if I made the best guide in the world for chatbots? Like, what if I spent like a week, you know, like interviewing people and like putting all the information together and like really trying to like, you know, go all out on it. And then at the end of that guide, I prompt people to go join this community. And so that's kind of what I did. And so the guide, the reason I made the guide was to grow the group. And the guide ended up, you know, doing really, really, really well and it turned out that a lot more than a couple hundred people were interested in bots and every time someone read that guide you know a high percentage of them went on to join the group and so the group started growing Um, substantially and like at first it was like you know 500 people and then it was like a thousand people and I was like you know then I'm thinking like wow you know is this group gonna get to like 2,000 people that would be like super crazy and then now we're at 13,000 people and the way that I've had to like manage the group and interact with the group is completely changed Um, because in the beginning when it's just like a couple hundred people there's not a lot of spam everybody knows who everybody else is like you can just make a post in there and like you know everyone would see it whereas like now you know there's 13,000 people in there like if I want to make sure that my post is seen and people are engaging with it like I have to try really hard and I have to like put a lot of effort into it and energy into it and I have to like really give a lot you know back to the community and so that's why I'm making these videos and you know you asked like why didn't I just try to own the community and and why am I kind of going about it the way I'm doing? I think one option, and I think this is what most people do, where they're like I'm going to totally own it, it's going to be completely branded, but I think it really limits you on how much you can grow a community like that if it's all about you. Because the only people will join it, who will join it are people who like really honestly like will buy into that And like really would want to be a a part of a community that's all about you. Whereas, you know, and this goes the strategy from the beginning. If you create a community where it's about every single person in the community, where it's about celebrating anything awesome that anybody in the community does, where it's about being very, very welcome and open and safe, then everyone who's in that community, they don't feel like they're contributing to your success. They feel like they're contributing to their own success and that everybody else is also contributing to their success and that they're contributing to everybody else's su- success. And so it creates like this, you know, that it creates a community, right? It's less of an audience and and it's more of a community where everybody's helping each other out. And so what I really try to do is I never make it about me. I always try to make it where like hey, the magazine is reaching 200,000 people this, you know, in the past month and that's like crazy. And like realistically, guys, you know, I've only ever written five posts and the majority of the content out there was written by you, you know, everyone else in this community. And so the only way that this was even possible is because everyone here made it possible. And I'm, you know, I'm simply just helping organize it. But like, really, the credit is is on the community. And I think when people see that, they feel like they feel safe, right? They feel like, oh, this is a place where I can contribute value and I'll be recognized for it instead of, it would be horrible if you had a community where everyone was contributing value and then the leader was taking all of the credit. Because then that, that just, that's just like a horrible scenario. Like who would want to be a part of that?
1: You know, exactly. I, I love how you, you know, leverage existing tools that people are currently engaging on, on a daily basis with Facebook and, and Medium. But on top of those two sites, you've actually created your own podcast for bots and the chatbot community. So how have you approached launching and growing your own podcast?
2: Yes, yeah, so... This and this comes out of my like constant struggle um, to to be the the best community member, you know, because like anybody in this community could do any of the things I'm doing, right? Like anybody could create a podcast, anybody could make videos, anybody could write the guide, anybody could do any of the stuff I'm doing, and. You know, some people have. Some people have started writing articles and it's, you know, it's been it's been great, right? Like they're contributing more content and it's awesome and it's helping the entire community. The reason I did the podcast and I've also been making, uh, you know, videos of myself. I've been like recording videos of me testing out bots. The whole reason for that was I just felt like I needed to step up my game. You know, there was all everyone else in the group started creating content. And I thought that I need to keep pushing everybody to to do even more. And so like if I create a podcast or I start creating videos, maybe everybody else will start making podcasts and maybe everybody else will start making videos. And so, you know, that's pretty much the reason that I did it. And I've noticed that other people have started making videos and that, and that other people have started creating podcasts. And so it seems to be working.
1: That's really cool. So what's next for Chatbot Magazine in the upcoming months? Yeah, I mean, so
2: more and more people are building bots, you know, I think just through the group and the magazine, it's inspired at least a couple, you know, tens of thousands of people to start building bots. And I think the goal over the next couple of months is just to continue that and just to help come up with what are the best practices for bots? Um, how should bots be made? What are the best platforms for bots? What's the best way to present your bot? How do you market a bot? Um, because there's not a lot of there's no standards in the industry right now. And I think that bots can be an incredible piece of technology if, if used right, but there's a huge chance that they could be used wrong. right? If a, if a company just uses a bot to spam people or send really annoying messages, then people are going to be turned off from bots and they're not going to use them. And so there's kind of this sense of responsibility that, that I have that I'm also trying to instill in the community where we together need to continue inspiring each other to build cooler and, and, and better things. But we also need to kind of take take a step back and figure out, you know, like, what are the things we should be using this technology for? And, and what, sh- you know, should we be avoiding? Like, how do we design a bot that provides, you know, a delightful and valuable experience? And like, kind of what goes into that? And then on the other end, you know, what are things that we should avoid that if we, you know, if that if we did them, it would provide for a really horrible experience, and it would kind of ruin it for everybody. Um, and, and I don't think that, you know, we're instantly going to be able to come up with these best practices and these standards and these common mistakes. But that's kind of where I what I see us working on over the next couple of months. And so something that I'm personally working on right now, you know, again, trying to step up my step up my game as much as possible is I'm working on a a beginner's guide to designing a chatbot, which covers best practices and common mistakes and how to launch it and basically the do's and don'ts of, of designing it. And you know, my first guide was so successful that I think this one will, will do very well also. And so so far, I've interviewed over a hundred people, and they're all writers for the magazine. And then recently, I actually got in contact with every major chat platform and company that uh, is working on bots. And so I'm talking to Slack and Facebook and WeChat and Kick and Telegram and Line and, and, a, and a couple others. And I'm including them in this guide. And so I think this design guide and best practices guide that I'm going to come out with in the next couple of weeks is probably the first piece of content in the world on, in the messaging space that includes the perspectives and the thoughts from every major uh, chat platform. And so I'm really excited to release that.
0: Cool, it's awesome. And so, you know, you mentioned a little while ago some of the coolest bots that you've you know used, made videos of. So, what are some of those coolest bots or other apps that are in sort of the bot or messaging space that you've uh, had a chance to use recently?
2: Yeah. So, I think that you know, there's there's really no bot that stands out in my mind as like something super incredible that everybody's going to love. And I think that that bot is not going to exist for the next couple months. I think people are still trying to figure out what, you know, what the best practices are, how to make a really compelling experience in a chatbot. So one chatbot that I do like is called Streak Trivia, which you can find on Facebook, and basically it's a chatbot where every day they send out a notification for a trivia game, and it's a live game that everybody plays at the same time. Right now, I think there's a you know a hundred to two hundred people who play every day. It, it, it's very it's very new. It's just started. And the way it works is everyone plays at 1 p.m. Pacific time, and everybody gets the trivia questions sent out to them at the same time. And you can basically answer true or false on every question that goes out. And if you answer false or if you answer incorrectly, you get kicked out of the game. And so the winner is whoever can get the most amount of correct answers in a row and last the longest. And so sometimes games can go for five minutes to, you know, even 15 minutes. And then this just repeats every day at 1 p.m. And so it's a very simple concept, but it's it's kind of fun because, you know, 1 p.m. rolls around and you get this notification on your phone that says, hey, the, you know, there's a new streak Trivia game starting. And it's kind of fun to just kind of drop what you're doing for a little bit and, and, and play it. And so I'm excited to see more kind of community and social experiences in the bot space that are similar to that
0: yeah it's pretty cool. I'll have to check it out. I hadn't uh, heard about that yet, so do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest thing is don't be scared to fail, and you should just go out there and do whatever you know you're interested in doing and if you fail, you know, just make sure that you do it quickly and you learn and you kind of apply what you learned and and you just keep doing it again. You know there's plenty of famous quotes out there where it's like you just got to keep getting up right like it's okay to get you know hit and it's okay to fall down but you just got to keep getting up um or like you know you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take so overall if you have an idea and you are interested in doing something don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it and it's okay if you fail and just go out and do it and just keep doing it over and over and over and you will get really good at it eventually
0: Absolutely. That's a great way to end the episode. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. This was uh, one of the most amazing episodes I think we've done so far. I just love the passion and how genuine you are in in the approach to the community uh, around the chatbot. So thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us and share that story. Cool.
2: Awesome. Thank you for having me. And then if anybody is listening that is interested in chatbots, whether you want to, you know, maybe you're a first-time developer and you want to learn how to make a chatbot, or if you're a company and you're interested in having a chatbot, feel free to reach out to me at Matt at chatbotsmagazine.com. Or if you just kind of want to send me a note or, you know, ask me any question, I'm very open and I, I respond very quickly. So feel free to email me. Cool. Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks, guys.
0: Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope to have you
1: join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.